Inside Books with Breda Brown. Welcome to Inside Books, a programme about the magical world of writing. I'm Breda Brown and in each episode of Inside Books we chat to people associated with the world of books, including well-known authors, publishers, editors, agents, critics, booksellers and more. You'll find Inside Books on all audio platforms and our Twitter handle is at InsideBooksIRE where you'll also find lots of other interesting books news. My guest today is writer and visual artist Sarah Baum, a graduate of Fine Art at Dunleary College of Art and Design and the MPhil in Creative Writing at Trinity College, she won the Hennessy New Irish Writing Award in 2015. She has since published two novels, Spill, Simmer, Falter, Wither and A Line Made by Walking. She's been shortlisted for many awards and won quite a few, including Best Newcomer at the Irish Book Awards, the Rooney Prize for Literature and the Kate O'Brien Award. Her third book is out now and this time it's non-fiction. It's called Handiwork and Sarah, I suppose I'm intrigued as to why you switched to non-fiction and we'll, we'll get to that later on. But this book charts the daily process of creating and living life as an artist. Why did you want to write it? I never wanted to write it. Um, it came about, uh, it, it came, I mean, I've never really gone, set out to write something in that way anyway. I've always just sort of been living life and these things have have asserted themselves <laughs> and then um, so I guess this came when you say I didn't make any conscious decision to turn to nonfiction. Um, in fact after I finished my last novel I decided that I, I, I didn't feel like writing anymore I didn't feel compelled to continue to write or to continue to to, to follow that career path Really? Why? Um, I I don't like writing I never really? have Really? Right <laughs> An unusual thing for a writer to say but is there a reason for that? I know and you know um uh, it's well. It's not that I don't. I find it hugely satisfying to to have written. It's like exercise, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. you feel good after it. <laughs> you feel good after, yeah. And the and the, the sense of achievement you get from having done something that's been difficult, and then you know overcome it, and to have a, a, a product at the end is that's uh, that's reward is is so great that I continue to force myself to write um, and I continue coming up with ideas you know um, you think of something that you really a project that you really want to see through to the end um, and then you just kind of have to keep going until you see it um, you know it's to me it works the same way with objects it's I have the picture in my head and I have to keep this is something I mentioned in handiwork um, then I have to keep going until I've gotten it right and the thing exists in the world and do you think um, then maybe you were trying to shine a light on the reality of that creative process in this book, Handiwork? Yes, and that's how it came about because after a number of months of spending an awful lot of time um, working on small, you know, um, I call them invariably knickknacks or trinkets or like fudgies or something, <laughs> um, but these sort of small objects, these um, series of um you know, various things, but mainly small objects and feeling awful for um, kind of flouting this great chance at a career as a writer to spend hours and hours making crap, um, making crap that nobody wants. Um, and it was, but it, was means... it was part of your creative process, though. Yes, You know, you obviously wanted to get it out. Yes. Yeah. And I, I was then the other side of my, you know, from an ap- academic point of view, I was then interested in that. Why do I keep doing this? And why have I always continued to feel compelled to do that? And when I started to explore it and found these connections, you know, to my dad and then put it in the context of the arts and crafts movement and William Morris and sort of Islamic art and various different things. And and that was when, you know, I mean, at that stage I was writing it down, I was making notes um, and 
And it came to a point where I realised that what I had was sort of a bit too long to be an essay and a bit too short to be a book. And then I read a number of short books that are books I was kind of reading anyway, like The White Book by Han Kang, um, a book uh, by Olivia Sudek called uh, Exposure, I think it was called. Uh, basically, short books that just had a set that were exploring an idea that had a central premise or experience and expanded on that. And I thought, well, this maybe it's a book then. Maybe I can make it a book. Um, and it is a book. And, and Trump allowed me to do that. <laughs> and like it's, it, as you said, then you had the notes and it's, it is essentially an account of a year in, in your life and in your, in your creative life. Uh, yeah, well, it's sort of, um, it, it, it's my 2018 book because it was really only written in about six months. Um, and it was, uh, I consolidated it when I was invited to show uh, a body, well, sort of three different series of work um, in a solo exhibition in London, which took place in autumn of 2018. And I guess that the process of kind of having to put a full stop behind the projects and being forced to put them in the context of an art gallery and to explain them as art as opposed to handicraft uh, and and through a series of conversations with the curator, um, that was what I guess you know, forced me to get to come to the end of the thing I'd been writing to bring the notes together and to put a kind of a shape on them. Um, so yeah, it was really just that six months and it mainly describes just the one series. <laughs> but it, it's funny, what I love about it is that you've you've managed to combine your love for writing, the visual and the creative all in one project, probably the dream project. Um, yeah, yeah, because I mean, the other thing that is huge in, in, in the book is is the birds. Um, and they were incidental. And I mean, that was also, I suppose that was perhaps the catalyst for me, for me thinking that there could be um, something, a more expansive subject. Tell this. us what you were trying to do with the birds. Well, the it, the very first page, pretty much, um, maybe the second or third page, describes um, me sitting at the table um, that I work at at home and listening to a podcast, which I don't name in the book, but the podcast was um, In Our Time with Melvin Bragg. Um, it's been around for years and years. And uh, the, the particular ep episode was on bird migration. And, um, and the particular bird they were talking about is this tiny songbird called the Northern Wheat Ear. And um, there's different populations of, of wheat ears, but um, I was specifically intrigued by the Alaskan one. So it lives in Alaska and every year it flies um, what I would describe as backwards around the world. You know, it, so it, it flies, um, it flies from Alaska back around all over Asia and then uh, winters all of the populations of these birds. Um, sorry, yeah, winter in sub-Saharan Africa. Um, but basically it goes this ridiculously long journey. Um, it's it's tiny, like it's smaller than a robin. Well, it's about the size of a robin. Um, and, it's, and it does it only because um, it, it has... It, it's in its genetic inheritance to do this. It has this strange insistence to go this way. And even though it's a completely impractical journey, it makes all these tiny little flaps to get there. And I guess because I was already thinking about my insistence to make work and uh, and my um, I, I, I'm very attached to the work of the hands in the sense that, you know, while I'm, I'm, I'm always making something for me, um, the point is to make it myself and... Uh, um, even though there's concepts behind it. I wouldn't say I'm a conceptual artist. You know, I've never made film or sound or anything like that. Um, and so I just felt that there was a strong parallel between um, the insistence that certain creatures have, but birds specifically, um, to migrate the strong s sense of instinct they have to be doing 
specific things and the artistic impulse which sort of is the same you know I think most artists are kind of bewildered as to why they do this thing you know mostly being involved in the arts of any kind just causes you pain and, <laughs> and poverty and um, um, so I so that's kind of what the book is exploring um, why is this and it's only now that it's published I suppose and people are um, uh, telling me about it that I realize it um, it's sort of captured a moment that that a lot of us are having um, a, a sort of deep fatigue with the screen world um, and the uh, and the, the lack of hand movements we have on a daily basis, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot more people are kind of turning to um, to handicraft and knitting to um, other things to spend yeah. their their time and their hands on. And as you say, you know, you, you are a writer and you are a visual artist. But which of those came first? Oh, visual art. I chose. Um, it's funny when I was in school, I I. I was always a reader and and a maker and I don't think I fully realised until I was perhaps in my mid-teens that you could study art at college. Um, And when I realised that you could, like I always knew that was what I was doing and and I applied for... You see, at the time I couldn't have studied creative writing at undergrad anyway. Um, I would have been studying English literature, you know, which would have been the closest thing. Um, So so I always wanted to go to art school and went to... um, uh, Ballyferma College of Further Education initially for a year and then spent uh, whatever four years in Dunleary um, no they now call it uh, IADT Dunleary um, and specialised in sculpture so my last three years would have been in the sculpture department And you did go on then and do the, the creative writing course in Trinity College so you still obviously felt compelled to to turn to the writing in some way shape or form Yes yeah that was kind of later on Um so I, after college, it was very hard as a sculptor to continue that practice because once you've left a workshop, you know, you have no tools of your own. You have no studio space of your own. It's not like, well, here, I know it's the same for, for all artists in a way um, to have space and to have equipment. But I guess a painter, it's much easier to set up an easel and a canvas in your room. Um, but when you're, you know, when you're using like upright wood saws and um, and welding equipment, you can't really, it's harder to... Um, uh, to continue in the real world, so I struggled with that. Garage for that, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I mean, that's where my dad was a, a huge source of help for a while. But it's also a time in life where I, I wanted to be doing my own thing. I, I, I'd been living in Dublin. I'd studied in Dublin. Um, but anyway, so I ended up. Um, I did a very, um, very influential, um, very uh, sort of major th- in my life. Um, I did a nine-month internship in the Douglas Hyde Gallery over in Trinity College. This would have been 2008, actually, the year of the, the bust, um, which also seems strangely um, significant. And I then sort of worked there on and off for a couple of years after. But it was there that I started writing about art um, because the, the I guess I'd always been good at writing and it quite quickly... I, I was sort of getting reviews and little pieces of criticism published. And and I thought, oh, hang on, maybe I'm... I desperately wanted to be good at something, to succeed at something. And I was failing at art. Um, and so that was what made me think, okay, I'll do this. I'll, I'll concentrate on writing. Um, and it was out of a... It was, it was out of... I, I, wa- it was, I wanted to succeed and not... Do the thing. Yeah. So it it was for dubious reasons, I think. (laughs) (laughs) And you did. You won the Davy Burns Short Story Award. And then then. I did. Okay. Well, I I think I realised then that I'd quite like to write fiction because that was what I love to read. So that was when I did the Masters. Then I applied for the Masters in Trinity um, and barely got in, just barely. And then, um, but then, but I mean, the, 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 
Davy Burns Award was 2014. So it was about four years after I graduated that that I started to do OK. The Singing Fly at first and was uh, published a couple of my stories. That gave um, you confidence, though, I'm sure, did it? Yeah, yeah. I think so many writers in Ireland probably have the same story with The Singing Fly. Um but that was, you know, they'd publish one and then years would go by and then another one was published. And then everything happened quite quickly. Um, when I, After I won the Davy Burns, um, I actually already had submitted the novel to Tramp and had, uh, I think I sort of had signed a publishing deal when I won that award. And this is Spill, Simmer, Falter, Withers. Withers, so yeah, that's the first where, How long did it take you to write that? Um, slow, that was about, well, see, how, when did I start it even really? I mean, it was probably only a couple of years yeah, that's it. The story was... The story was... I make it sound like yeah. I'm just making it up. <laughs> this is your award-winning story now, Sarah. Don't forget. <laughs> but this is what you do, though. It's funny how you mythologise your own past. But um, no, I think that the accurate story was... Uh, I turned 28 and I thought, oh my God, I have to... I've had the sort of panic about turning 30. I felt I had nothing to show for my life that I'd sort of squandered my 20s being lost and depressed. Uh, And so I knuckled down then. At this stage, I'd done the Masters and I'd had a few stories published or whatever. Um, So that I did knuckle down then and finished the novel. And it was published, I think, actually. I'd finished it and it was published by the time I was um, 30. So it was only a couple of years, but there was sort of five years in there where when we lived in Whitegate in East Cork in the harbour in this sort of a tumble down house that flooded and they were just kind of really bleak years so I feel like I sort of needed sort of three years of living the world that was then described in the novel in order to put the novel together so it sort of took five but I was only writing it for for two for a year and a half even. and did you <laughs> did you feel that putting a deadline on yourself you know that whole turning 30 aspect did that help then yeah, yeah. I mean, I've already been talking about that. So it forces you to stop um, because I think if you're, you know, if you're if you're critical of yourself, which a good artist should be, it's so hard to say this is the end. You know, this is the final stroke in an abstract painting. You know, what a um, and and you could just, I mean, and and still when I read books back, you know, I'd change a million things now, but they're published, so I don't think about them. I don't worry about what I can and can't change. And you did with that book. I mean, the first draft was written in the first person and then you changed it to the second person. Yeah, yeah. The first, at one point it was um, written from the point of view of the dog, but only a small part of it. (laughs) Um, And the second person was... um, kind of my my moment of revelation with it in a way it worked when I put it into second person and did it take long to make those changes um I know I'm well you know you're only going back and changing all the eyes to use <laughs> that's that's minor in comparison to uh to the bigger the bigger story yeah, exactly yeah. those and are the easy things that I kind of like in a way because it's that those kind of changes when you're editing something is the equivalent to working with your hands to stay carving something or painting something. Um, you know, when the form has been carved and you're just putting the paint on is the equivalent to going back and changing the tense. You you're know? just trying to perfect it. Yeah, and there's no particular pressure. You're just doing something quite mundane over and over and yet you're making progress. So <laughs> how did the publishing aspect then come about? How did you get it published? Uh, the, the first novel? The first novel. Um, well, the Tramp Press, um, I had a very good friend called Thomas Morris, who's also a short story writer, and um, he was uh, editor of The Stinging Fly at the time um, of the magazine, and he uh, advised me to send it into Tramp Press, who were just kind of setting up at the time. And then 
there was also, they were on the radio at some point. And I clearly remember my partner put out a little post-it for me that just said tramp.ie. <laughs> so there were a few things that, um, uh, but it was Tom who, who pointed me, who said, you know, send it to, to them. You know, I always felt that it wasn't the kind of book that that bigger publishing houses would would want. It was never going to be a bestseller kind of thing. Um, so so it went into them and uh uh, and they liked it instantly. I mean, they read it very quickly, got back to me very quickly. And so I didn't have an agent. I didn't send it out much. I don't have any sob stories, stories. really, with them, I'm afraid. <laughs> I sent it out to a few places, but that they, they're they so astute. Um, so, and, and I mean, it subsequently did go on to send it, sell to a bigger publisher and sell rights all over the world. So, And was that a one book deal? Uh, it was I'm trying to remember now. No, I think it was sort of a two book. Yeah, it was a two book. But it, things were slightly complicated then by selling it on to the UK publishing houses. Um, this quite often happens. It happens all the time. In and Irish. you ended up, you were shortlisted for Acosta. You won an Irish Book Award. You were longlisted for the Guardian First Book Award. Were you expecting any of that? No, God, no. <laughs> <laughs> I think at the beginning, you just want to get to the end. And then once you've gotten to the end, you just want to get it published. Um, and then once it's published, you just, you're worried about the next thing, I suppose. And I, I didn't have any grasp coming from, you know, I see students now who study, um, who study creative writing. Um, and I guess I got a certain amount of it from my master's, but I had no clear sense of how publishing worked. So I hadn't any of those kind of expectations. And even with awards and that, you know, I think unless you're kind of involved in the world of writing, you're not really that interested in, you know, you know who won the Man Booker or whatever. So um, so I wasn't really thinking about that. Um, and I certainly hadn't expected it. But of course, in my wildest dreams, I would have loved it and, and was delighted when it happened. And did that put any pressure on you then for the second book, do you think? Um, a certain amount. Um, but it, it, but it also, it's also helpful because, you know, I think I was complaining at some point and someone said to me, well, you know, you're, you're in a much better position putting out a second novel when your first novel's done well than trying to put out a second novel when your first novel's done badly. They were right. Yeah. <laughs> so the second one was A Line Made by Walking. And again, you said this one is a little bit autobiographical, is it? Yes, but they both are. <laughs> right. Um, and no one ever picks up on the autobiography in the first one. Um, it is more imagined, I suppose, but it was telling a story of that period of my life. It just happened that I was being framed through this older man character. And in A Line Made by Walking, the protagonist is a 25-year-old woman. She just turned 26 and she's like a lost and disillusioned art student. Um, and Sounds familiar. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was very much drew from the period of my life um, at, that I mentioned sort of after after art school and that that the mid to late, the middle 20s, I suppose, was my most lost period of life. Um, I think because you're built up to, in the West, you're really built up to expect that you can do anything that, um, you know, you see this all the time on talent shows, little 16 year olds going, this is my whole life has been working toward this moment. And um, like our expectations are so high. And I was somewhat crushed by the fact that um, that nothing big had really happened. And at 26, I felt it was too late to be a genius. Really? That like, yes, yeah, that if I was going to be declared a genius, it would have happened at an right, earlier okay. stage. <laughs> you really did put the pressure on yourself, I think, you know. And as you were writing then about yourself, did you find that easier or harder? 
it was hard because by the time I was writing it, I was about 32 and uh, and I was very tempted to sort of sanitize the 26 year old version of myself that I was drawing off for the character. Um, uh, you know, you keep thinking, oh, that's stupid. You would I wouldn't have said that. But I know I would have said that. I know I would have acted like that then when I was 25. You know, I wouldn't have at 32. But so I had to really force myself to be true to the stage of life the character was at. Um, and if people disliked her for that, then then people disliked her. Um, but again, I wanted very much, um, you know, I guess there's always some other story that I'm trying to tell in the books. And I really wanted to um, to talk about contemporary or conceptual arts, conceptual arts since 1960. And so the book is shot through with, um, with uh, sort of stories, I suppose, of art pieces that the character uses in order to to, to comfort herself, I suppose, and to find meaning. Um, so she variously tests herself on artworks that she's learned about in art college and um, and in her life after in order to sort of find meaning in them that will help her in, in the dilemma that she's in at the time. Um, and in order to sort of console herself and say, yes, well, life can, or art can be meaningful and it can help me. And thus, it's okay to make art. You know, I, I, it's okay to make art and maybe it will find someone else and make them feel better. Um, and so that was the larger concept of the book, I suppose. And as it was so personal then, were you nervous about publishing it and what the reaction might be? <laughs> See, I find that a funny question because peop- I'm, I'm on no forms of social media. I don't participate in any of that at all. And when I look at other people's social media, I, fi- I think it's so exposing, you know. People are, people are telling them telling the world more about themselves every, you know, 20 times a day. <laughs> and uh, what I put in a book is far, far less exposing than what most people are putting um, putting out on the internet, you know, um, every day. So I, I didn't know. I, it's, if anything, I suppose handiwork is more exposing because I am saying it's true. With the two previous novels, they are true and not true. So honest to God, parts are and parts aren't. And, you, you know, no one ever usually, you know, points to an exact line and asks you whether that was uh, um, so you know you can hide behind the fact that it's 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 fiction and I was going to say fiction obviously the first two are fiction handiwork then non-fiction and I was going to ask why you've sort of you did do the switch but you've probably explained it already just it suddenly it formed in front of you really didn't it yes yeah yeah it was it for me I'm just um, I guess I'm telling uh I'm I'm sort of telling the story of my life and, and the world as I know it um, through the projects that I make, you know, and some of them are books. M- more of them <laughs> over the years have been art projects, um, less so now. So, you know, each each project tells some story from that period of my life. Um, and like I say, and I made by walking sort of told the mid twenties one. The spill simmer was um, was the era of my life in which um, in in which I was living in the small country town. I kind of returned to the countryside, and um, and and handiwork is again. I just found that there was no need for fiction with handiwork. That I was ready to tell it literally as it was. And it's an unusual concept. So, how did the publisher react when you when you pitched it to them? Um, well, <laughs> I mean, I've been very lucky. My publishing story is really boring. Really, like I published both novels with Tramp. Um, the first two have been sold on to the UK, but this one, Handiwork, is again being published by Tramp and just Tramp because in the last couple of years they've expanded hugely. And um, 
they're so ambitious and so you know there's no need to have another publishing house in the UK now they're they're functioning there um, so so there was no I mean uh, honest I sent it to them and thought <laughs> is this a book and, uh, and my agent as well I think I maybe no maybe I sent it to the agent first and was like is this a book look I really don't know whether this is this is a book or not um, and she uh, and she was encouraging and uh, and then the visual element of the book actually came about because of uh, Lisa Cohen who's uh, from Trump. one of yeah one of, of Trump Press and it was her who said I had various ideas I had different images because I wanted always images to be running through it um, but it was her who said you know what I, I missed a picture of this bird I wanted to see what this bird the northern wheat ear which is kind of the first one that I talk about and it comes back later on um, she said I wanted to know what it looked like um, you know without having to refer to Google or whatever um, and I really didn't want to have a photograph of the bird because um, unless I could photograph the bird myself that would be to me inauthentic and like bird photography is extremely <laughs> hard if you've ever tried um, so I thought well I can and to paint the bird or to draw the bird wouldn't really be you know I've, I'm I'm not a painter or, or, or a drafts, draftsman at all so, um, so I said look the only way I can I can show you the birds as if I make them. Um, so I ended up making this series, I think maybe about 20. Um, basically every bird, every um, photograph is a bird that appears somewhere embedded within the chapter that it begins, um, with a few exceptions because there were a few chapters that didn't have any birds specifically. Um, so I made this series of, um, of their plaster birds on um, wooden dowel. Um, and they're carved. So uh, so that actually came about afterwards and it came about because of the publishers. <laughs> so we have this odd relationship, um, me and Sarah and Lisa at this stage, you know, I've published with them um, uh, for, you know, it, se- it seems like quite a long time now. And I like the way we sort of have this odd relationship. So if Lisa suggests seeing a bird, I might make the birds. <laughs> but it works and it makes the book better. Yeah, yeah, that's, I thought, um, I I've included images in um, my last novel and uh, they were photographs that I'd taken and I thought I'd like to include images again, but how can I push push the concept a bit further? Um, so what's next? Well, <laughs> um, for, there's a, there, there will be a novel. Um, I'm not entirely sure when, but before too long because I've been writing this novel like, for as long, for longer than I've been writing. I kind of feel a bit like handiwork fell out of it. So when it is published, people will see the the parallel definitely they will kind of see that the two books maybe someday will be in a slipcase together you right. know even though one is fiction um and this is non-fiction they're they're to me the same era of my life so they're drawing from the same kind of um influences the same sort of subjects um and have you gone down the route of writing a screenplay or or for theater because you are so visual um no because screenplays and theaters would be dialogue on the page they're dialogue and I, I don't write, conver- I don't really write conversation at all, very little. Um, I describe things. So I, that the visual thing doesn't make sense to me. To me, I'm visual. So I see the scene, I see the image, and then I describe it in language. So if I, so I would need to hear them talking in order to be good at writing a screenplay. You know, yeah, isn't it interesting how different people would approach it in, in different ways, you know? Yeah. And with the novel at the moment that you're working on, then when, when hopefully will we see that? Um, hopefully next year sometime. But um, but I have other things I'd really like to pursue, um, uh, you know, having sort of 
talked about how <laughs> not making, not no one caring about the work that you're making makes stronger artwork in a way. At the same time, I would love to show a bit more. Um, I have very serendipitously the piece that I describe making mostly in handiwork is um, will be included in an exhibition in the Glucksman that runs from April to July in the summer. Um, so, and I mean, that was just nothing to do with the book. You know, that was just sort of open submission. The exhibition is called um, Home, Being and Belonging in Contemporary Ireland. So um, so it's about, uh, it's it's all contemporary work. And you do, you live in Cork. And I'm assuming this is totally conducive to living living life as an artist. I, I mean, to me, I talk about uh, John Rushkin and uh, William Morris and a few people sort of from that, from the arts and crafts movement in the book. And um now I'm not at all religious, but Rushkin's premise was that um, that nature and art are sort of inseparable because nature is God's handiwork. You know, it's uh, the two things are the same. You know, come from the same root, and I kind of feel that as well. I couldn't, I couldn't separate. The, you know, if, if I don't think I can ever write a book that doesn't have <laughs> nature in it, the natural world in some way. Well, Sarah Baum, thank you for joining us here on Inside Books and you'll find Sarah's book Handiwork in your local bookshop now. The next episode will be out soon. Just keep an eye on our Twitter feed for details. The handle is at Inside Books IRE. And if you want to hear other episodes, just search for us on the various audio platforms. And don't forget to leave us a rating or a view. I'm Breda Brown. Until next time, keep reading. Inside Books is a unique media production. 